Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and today we're going to get into the comments and emails that came in this week, and also two grammar points. Uh, both of them are relatively short, so normally we only do one, but uh, these are related to two grammar points we've already talked about. So the first grammar point today is GW helper possession de omitted. Which the Chinese there, the if whenever you see a character followed by zi, what it's saying is that character. It's saying like, you know, I could say uh And I'm not saying wo as in me, I'm saying the character wo. And that's how you say it in Chinese. or And then the next word is which means to omit. So essentially this Grammar point shows that there are certain times where, despite the fact that d means possession, you can sometimes actually omit the d because the relationship between the uh, the object and the thing being possessed is actually so clear that when it comes to especially spoken language, there's no need to actually say the d. That isn't to say that it's wrong to say the d, but it just can be omitted, and that's important to know because if you don't know that, then when you're reading, you'll be confused. So. Let's take a look at some examples of how this is used, and you'll get the idea. So here's sentence one. 我太太不来了. My wife is not coming now. So where was the d admitted? Well, uh, omitted, I mean. Well, it probably didn't take you very long to realize that it's between 我 and 太太. 我的太太. Or just 我太太. Well, why? Because naturally, the uh, your relationship to your wife is very intimate. And a lot of times when there's a an intimate relationship of some sort, whether it's between a person and another person, or a person and a location or something like that, uh, or a person and their own feelings, then perhaps you don't need the d. And in this case, tai is a pretty common one that you'll hear. Uh, there's some other examples of this. For example, 我妈. 我妈. That just means my mom, my mother. Or, I mean, usually you translate it as that as, as like my mom, because uh, it's kind of informal as it is. It's not 我的妈妈 or 我的母亲, right? That would be literally my mother. Um, but just saying 我妈, much easier, faster. The relationship is obviously a close relationship, so you can omit the 的, or 你姐, 你姐, your sister, 你的姐姐. It's an, it's an abbreviation of 你的姐姐, just 你姐. That's nice and easy. And then, of course, you have uh, her husband. Same thing. You know, it's like whether or not it's 我太太,我妈,你姐,他老公. All of these are intimate relationships of some sort. And when you have that, you'll notice in spoken language, especially with native Chinese speakers, they tend to omit the d in that case. Now let's take another uh, intimate relationship that people will say, which is 我家. 我家 is, uh, you know, obviously it's a relationship between a person and a location, which is their home. But people will say that all the time. They'll say 我家 and, uh, instead of 我的家. Let's take a look at another sentence. 你运气太好了。你运气太好了。你运气太好了。you have such good luck. And so... This is kind of an interesting one, right? Because even though they're omitting the d between ni and yun qi, it makes sense why they might omit the d because the relationship between oneself and one's own luck is kind of an intimate relationship in a way. I mean, obviously, it's an abstract 
thing to think about there, but it makes sense. So they just omit the de. Instead of saying 你的运气, they say 你运气. Let's take a look at sentence three here. 他内心很矛盾. 他内心很矛盾. He's very conflicted internally. So 内心 means heart or innermost being. So that's quite an intimate relationship. It's just the relationship between you and your innermost thoughts. So we'd really like to emphasize that this is not the only way to say these with any of these examples, whether it's uh, 我妈, you can say 我的妈妈. If it's 我家, you can say 我的家. You can say 我的内心. That's fine. All those are fine. But you can omit the 的. And because you can omit the 的, you should be aware of that when you're reading. So keep an eye out for that as you move forward. And again, this is all of the uh, sentences that are related to GW helper possession 的. Omitted, 主词, 的, 的字省略. Um, so that's uh, that grammar point. Let's move on to the next grammar point. The next grammar point is GW helper change 主词了变化. So we already talked about a tag that was exactly the same, except instead of being change, it was completed action. So it was also focused on le. I believe it was in level 13 or 14. And it was about the idea of using le to express a completed action of some of some kind. For example, 我吃饭了, uh, which would mean I have eaten. I finished the action of eating. And so that's true that you can use it for completed actions. But completed actions are uh, nested inside of the concept of change. And we've talked before about how le is really just a change indicator. So this grammar point is meant to show you when you have examples of le that aren't specifically related to a completed action, but are still indicating change. So this is a slightly more advanced usage of le, but it's uh, going to help you. And remember, whenever you're looking at le, you just always want to ask yourself, where is the change? Is the change in the completed action, or is it some other kind of change? Well, this will this uh, video will focus on the other types of changes. So, sentence one, very simple sentence. 我想你了. I miss you. And you'll notice that we put in parentheses now. Why? Because a lot of times when you have this version of le that isn't necessarily indicating a completed action but is indicating a change, it doesn't, while it's not a foolproof way of thinking about this, it does often translate well to I miss you now, which we would understand in English as meaning before I didn't miss you, something's changed and now I do. So <laughs> could just be that Yesterday when I had seen you for 10 straight days uh, before I didn't miss you, but then another day went by and now I miss you, right? So 我想你了 means I miss you now. And it's very helpful to imagine that. Now, of course, you could just say to somebody 我想你, and that would just mean I miss you and there's no necessary indication that there's some kind of change. And you might want to be more tactful and say it that way if you're talking to somebody who maybe a romantic partner who you haven't seen in a while, you might just want to say 我想你 uh, and not say 我想你了 because then they're like, well, what, you didn't miss me before? But uh, anyway, so that's the idea there. Let's take a look at another one. Sentence two. 你可以说话了. You can speak now. So imagine that you walk into your supervisor's office, right? And you start to speak, but your supervisor is on the phone and puts a single finger up to indicate, wait, wait, wait a moment. She finishes her call, hangs up the phone, and says, 你可以说话了, right? So this is an example where just a moment ago, while she was on the phone, you weren't 
allowed to speak yet. You needed to wait. And then she gets off the phone. She says, 你可以说话了, right? So that le is indicating the change that took place there. And once again, this isn't exactly a completed action. It's just a change that happened naturally through the course of time. Let's take a look at sentence three. 我太太不来了。我太太不来了。my wife is not coming now. So imagine you're at a party. The host of the party comes over with a smile, but then a look of confusion. Where's your wife? He says, and you respond, she's sick in bed. She can't come now. So before your wife planned to come with you, and now she isn't coming. So once again, you see the l, where's the change? Let's do another example. And this example, we're going to do a few different examples with, because here's a question that comes up. But first, let's look at the sentence. 我在他家里住了一年了。I've been living at his house for a year. Now, we have two l in this sentence. And, you know, obviously two l is your brain, has your brain exploded? No, it's, it's actually easy to understand if you understand that what we're getting here at here with two l is that it has happened and is continuing to happen. Right, which is a situation that can, you know, it happens with things like how long have you been studying Chinese? 我学汉语学了几年了. Right, so I've been studying Chinese for a few years and I'm continuing to study. So it has happened and it's still happening. So um, now both laws are necessary because if you take one of them away, the meaning of the sentence changes. So the first way to change it is to take away the second la. So let's look at that sentence again. 我在他家里住了一年。So we take away that second look. What does that mean? It means I lived in his house for a year, but it's not still happening. The second look being taken away means that you're just indicating that it's happened ever before and that you lived there for a year. So what if you were to remove the first look? 我在他家里住一年了。this is very close to the original sentence. The meaning is almost the same, but there's a slight difference in emphasis. So the focus is more on the one year part of the sentence. So in the original sentence, you might be saying, uh, uh, after somebody just asks you, where do you live? Right. Or, uh, and so, you know, maybe you're at a party, somebody asks you where you live and there's a third person there and you say, oh, to, pointing towards him, Right, so that's just a direct answer to the question. But perhaps the second sentence where you omit the first look, it's just kind of a comment where you maybe even have a tone of surprise that you've lived there already a year. The idea is that the year, the one year part is the emphasis when you omit the first look. And where you lived, or, or where you live as the main emphasis is the focus when you have both look there. So uh, that's kind of the slight difference there. But the main thing is that don't worry about these little distinctions too much. Don't overthink it. Just ask yourself if there's one l in the sentence, where's the change? If there's two l in the sentence, it likely means that the situation has happened uh, previously and is still happening. So regardless of whether it's a change of state, a completed action, or something that has happened before and is continuing to happen, the question you always want to ask yourself with l is where's the change? Where's the change? And it's the easiest way to think of it. Remember, don't think of it as past tense because that's a little bit too low resolution. Try to imagine it as a change of some sort. So that is the tag GW helper change 助词, 乐, 变化. 
Next, we're going to move on to comments and emails. So this is from Tevin Gov in the community forum. And he had a question about the grammar review sentences. He says, hi, Mandarin Blueprint. If I forget the initial word at the front of a card, for example, I like to blank books and I don't know the hidden word, but on the next side, understand the meaning. I like to read books. Do I have to click again on Anki? Or if I've comprehended the meaning of the full sentence, can I click good slash easy? So the answer, <clears throat> the general rule is yes, you should click again because you should be able to figure out from the context that the missing word is read. Um, however, I would say that there is an exception to this, which is sometimes a one character word like zhen uh, or kan or du, uh, these are uh, words that if we delete them out of the sentence to, to make you guess, it's possible there could be another word to fit in there. Now, if it's a two-character word, we always only delete one of the two characters, so you should be able to figure out from the context of not only the sentence, but also the word itself what the answer is. So, But generally, the rule is this. If you can understand exactly why it could have been another character in that spot, and so you said, okay, uh, it, take, for example, this sentence. 我喜欢 blank 书. That technically could be 读书, or it could be 看书, right? So imagine that the sentence actually is 看书, but you thought to yourself 读书. Then you can mark yourself correct in that case because they both, it really could have been 读, but if the case is that... uh there's a two-character word, and it's only one character it could have been, then you should definitely mark yourself wrong if you didn't come up with the right character uh, or you couldn't think of what character it might be. But that's a good question, though. And, uh, you know, with Anki, you always got to remember that it's okay to be, um, you know, easy on yourself sometimes and hard on yourself sometimes. You know, follow your mood to some degree. But remember, you can't fake knowing something. If you're saying that you got it right, but you didn't really understand it to begin with, you know, you got to find that line uh, between, you know, sort of taking it easy on yourself and also being hard on yourself. So I'm sure you'll figure it out, Tevin. Next, uh, a, a response from John McCann on the last lesson of pronunciation mastery, which was, you did it. Um, we actually have a few comments from that lesson uh, that came in this week. So this is the final lesson of pronunciation mastery before moving on to the Mandarin Blueprint method. And uh, so he says, excellent content. And you have reinforced the importance of starting with pronunciation as a foundation. I had a Beijing born uh, in 1910, last year of Qing Dynasty father who attended Peking, uh, Peking University before migrating to Harvard. He grew up speaking Mandarin. I was a late starter. After several years as director of development for Japan Society, which include, included global relations, a first-rate gallery, performing arts, education, I took twice-weekly Japanese lessons at the highly regarded language school. At Yeah, at probably a highly regarded language school. Um, and worked with a staff that was half Japanese, so I picked up a lot. Got into trouble when we hit the Chinese kanji alphabet and had decided to move on to take a Master's of East Asian Art course at the prestigious School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, at University of London. Wow, John's really had a lot of experiences. In preparation, I was advised to take a Mandarin course, so I signed up for a summer immersion course in Mandarin at China Institute in New York, where I am based. 
Bad idea. <laughs> I was preparing to move to London for at least two years, and in addition to the five hours of daily class time, did not have the four hours additional time for homework. Plus, the teacher was impatient. <laughs> at SOAS, we, which had a renowned language school, they teach over 300 languages, many obscure Asian languages, I took weekly Mandarin courses. Upon return to New York, I made the mistake of trying Rosetta Stone. Not worth the cost and all the additional material you need to buy. Fast forward to lockdown. As I am a scholar of Chinese and Jap Japanese ceramics and paintings, I am a collector and sometimes private dealer. Your course has been a joy, and I not only review the Anki cards, but go back and review certain sessions on pronunciation. I attend a summer school at Christ Church College, Oxford University, every year in philosophy and theology. Last summer, I remarked on the large number of mainland Chinese tour tourists. I was told by someone in authority that if I learned enough basic Mandarin to pass the HSK 3 or 4 exam, that I could get a teaching visa to give tours in Oxford and London in Mandarin, and of course in New York. My other main goal is to be able to read scholarly art history texts in Chinese. This is a great start. I want to continue studying with you. Well, we're very happy to have you, John. And I think that the fact that you have such a specific goal in terms of giving tours in not only London, uh, New York, but also London, uh, will give you all the motivation you need to get through uh, the course. And if you get through the Mandarin Blueprint Method Foundation and Intermediate course, you'll have certainly covered all of the vocabulary through the HSK 3 and 4. And you'll have such a solid foundation that learning from there should be quite uh, easy. So thanks so much for writing in, John, and I'm um, glad you got through the pronunciation mastery course. So here's another uh, comment from that final lesson of the pronunciation mastery course from Christopher Dolman. Thanks very much for a great course, Luke and Phil. I really enjoyed the lessons themselves. Your love and enthusiasm for the language, the motivational videos, the tips for acquisition path ahead, the Anki decks, and just your initiative and teamwork to bring it all together. Plus, I can even pronounce some pinyin. <laughs> I should certainly hope so. Looking forward now to continuing with that, plus making some movies to get these characters sorted. Well, uh, great. I appreciate the, um, the uh, and I'm sure Luke does too, the uh, praise. And of course, it is something that uh, luckily Luke and I have always had the same idea about is that we've always been motivated by the fact that we know that online Mandarin learning materials have a lot to be desired. And so we just embarked on this journey of just continuing to make new stuff every day and continuing to uh, make this foundation of a course that we have even more what the Chinese would call feng fu. Feng fu is like rich and uh, sort of full of uh, lots of different experiences that you can have. And so what's really nice about our course is that we've built up this foundation of character learning and everything springs from the character learning, but then we insert more and more things along that journey, like grammar points or, uh, you know, new vocabulary or sentences and, or stories and all that stuff. And we're going to continue to do that. So we're just going to do that for years and years and years until Mandarin blueprints, all you need to learn uh, anything for Mandarin acquisition. Next, we have a comment from James Steele on the Rapid Acquisition course, post number nine. So this is a that free course that everybody should have in your course library if you sign up for any Mandarin Blueprint uh, course. Excellent video series. You started to learn Mandarin exactly the same way I started to learn Spanish. Tutors were expensive and seemed to focus on compound tenses and the subjunctive. Since you two have that experience, I will embark on learning Mandarin with you. Xie xie. So thanks, thanks, James. Yeah, there's so many um, ways that tutors will approach the language uh, teaching process. 
that are just misguided. And I, you know, I, I don't know who to blame necessarily entrenched, uh, bureaucratic educational interests, big education, you know, these big education people with their traditional learning methods, geez, you know, they need to be, uh, uprooted, but you know, that's what, that's what the internet allows for us to do these days. So thanks uh, for your feedback, James. Next, Barry Hill, once again on the Pronunciation Mastery last lesson called You Did It. He said, thank you so much, Luke and Phil. At first, I was swamped and overwhelmed, and now every day pronunciation gets easier. I'm looking forward to the next course. Unit 10 was inspiring and has motivated me to go much further, particularly in this time of lockdown where I have the most precious resource, time and motivation. Uh, well, certainly the lockdown can give you some time, although it doesn't necessarily give you motivation. Some people just drink all day, but <laughs> I suppose that can be, it can be motivating in its own way. Um, you have made a difficult language so much easier. I've tried other courses and my Chinese partner was not interested in helping me. Thought, well, you know, that is what it is. The, this time he is, and uh, he can see the value and said, they are teaching you the correct pr pronunciation and now helps me with questions and my articulation. A first, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing my Chinese relatives by marriage in Singapore next year and speaking to them uh, to let them know I value their language and culture. Thanks again. You know, I notice the people who tend to do well with our course, they always have something that's driving them that's like real. And, you know, for John McCann, it might be that he wants to give tours in London, New York. And for Barry, it's connecting with his in-laws. And, you know, that's stuff that really makes a difference and it makes makes people change their perception of you, change how they treat you as a result. And so, you know, when you take the time to really get into something like, say, for example, Mandarin, the uh, fruits that you get from that, the rewards you get from that are often things that are very important, stuff that you would want to uh, go forward in your life being proud of. And so I think that you're going to do great, Barry, and just keep it up. Just make sure no zero days, you know, always have something in Chinese that's happening for you. And if you do fall off the wagon with studying, just draw a line and start again and get back into that no zero days cycle. So awesome. Next, we have Gregory Savage on bonus, build on what you already know to learn Chinese. I'm really enjoying the educational approach. I've been teaching over 36 years now, and I feel like this method is such a revelation. Like yourselves, I am in China, but I teach science. I'm trying to think, think how I would apply this method to the teaching and learning of science and English. I'm now starting to look at signs and think, I know that character. I may not know the whole thing, but I can see the components, and I wonder if that character is not too far away. Sure. Yeah, it's amazing the amount of... Uh, framework you're setting up for yourself just by learning the foundational characters because you know so many of the new characters you learn are going to be made up of components that you've already learned previously so they're just maybe less frequent so you, we get you the most frequent characters first and then we build up from there so uh, excellent and that's a very satisfying thing to be able to see things in China and go oh I got that I understood that so um, excellent stuff Gregory and uh, keep it up Next, we have a comment on Make a Movie for Ji from Jiggy J Diderik. I love the idea, <laughs> Jiggy J. <laughs> he says, I'm a bit confused about the meaning of Ji. Does it mean to plan? 
If so, isn't it similar to junbei? So the word junbei means to prepare. And so you can, it actually, this is a good example of how you can think about how the definitions in English are slightly different. So sure, you could say that preparing is a kind of a form of planning, but it's more of a broad form of planning, like in the sense that uh, you're preparing for things that may come, whether or not uh, they do is another th is another issue, you know, uh, but a plan is more like, you know, I'm planning to go to the mountains this weekend and therefore I will make preparations, but the preparations are kind of like different in than the plan itself. The plan is just to go to the mountains. So, uh, ji is the main character in the word ji hua. And so, um, and ji also can mean like to calculate, but like, so ji hua is to calculate and uh, assign so like calculate and uh, uh, draw a line like hua can mean to like draw a border for example and so the idea is that you're calculating and drawing lines and that's sort of a plan right and uh, but by itself it means kind of to calculate but it's also it's most often used in the word si hua and um, uh there, there are other examples of where you would use ji, and it means more like calculate, but we always like to give the most common uh, meaning when we provide a movie scene for you, or the movie scene ingredients, I should say. Dan Archer on Pick a Prop for Shirt. He says, what about a shrunken throwing star, every ninja's favorite go-to weapon? The SH sounds the same, and they're usually flying at high speeds towards some unwitting enemy. Loving the course so far, by the way. So um, that's okay to choose that as a um, as a particular prop. I think we might have even suggested that later for another prop. And that's, but the thing is, it's fine. As you get the hang of this, you always want to remember with props, there are sort of a few uh, options for how you can understand it. So you can choose a prop based on the meaning. So shirt means 10. So you might pick 10 bowling pins, uh, or you can say how it looks, which we've suggested a Christian cross because it's kind of what it looks like, but it also kind of looks like a throwing star. So as long as the association for you is clear, that's all that really matters, right? So Sure, if you use the throwing star, you should use something else later if we suggest a throwing star later. That's the only possible risk that you run by choosing something that we don't suggest is that later we make a suggestion and that's the one you already chose. But it's not a big risk because, you know, you'll end up in a situation where you know how to pick props. So you can pick something else at that point. And uh, the key is just that when you imagine that throwing star in your mind, that associates with the actual... Chinese component that you then write on the page when you're doing your Anki reviews. So as long as that's what happens, then you're you're good to go. Next, we have a comment from Nicole Murphy on bonus stroke order rule 9 of 12. She said, maybe I missed it somewhere, but there is there a list of the 12 stroke order rules? I can only find a list of eight rules on the internet. So, uh, well, I mean, there are 12 stroke order rules that Luke went over in our course, perhaps some of the internet resources you found, Nicole, were putting some of them together and combining them into one rule. But what I did actually as a result of this is I took the 12 stroke order lessons and put them all in the sidebar of the course so that you can access them uh, easily from your desktop. If you're using the app, which by the way, the app works now for the foundation course. Hooray! The app works. Oh my God. That was so annoying how long it took for the... Um, the developers to be able to fix that, but it's it's good now. The app works. But 
uh, regardless, um, if you're on your desktop, the sidebar has all the stroke order rules, uh, 1 through 12, uh, the lessons linked in the side, so that's easy to get to. And then um, also there's a bunch of, there's like 25 now grammar points that are in the sidebar as well. So if you're beyond uh, phases 3 and 4 of the course where most of the grammar points are, you might want to go back and check those out. Uh, so anyway, that's... The uh, what I've done with those, I put them in the sidebar so you can uh, get access to them whenever you want. Next, we have two questions that came up that are really around the same thing. So I'll I'll go through both of them here. The first one is from Charles Siegel, where he says, uh, "I'm a bit confused over the use of props. For example, Chuck Norris is used as a prop." on the flashcard for Zhen, but it really, he wrote in here the character Zhen, but really Chuck Norris represents the uh, the component version of Zhen, which uh, is two strokes on the left side of a character. Uh, he says, but umbrellas are used for both Tong and Ge as props. Is it that Chuck Norris is only used as a prop when it contributes to the meaning of the character, and umbrella is being as a prop in the movie for the same shape? It's confusing because they are both referred to as props. Uh, I, and I understand that one. And then we have Simon Meller uh, on a different um, lesson saying, is it right to assume that Zhen and the Chuck Norris version of Zhen are both characters to represent Zhen, or is there a specific difference between the two? So I'll answer both of these together. So Chuck Norris represents the uh, component version of Zhen that's only a component. So um, obviously the character Zhen is those two equal strokes on both sides, and that is uh, not only a character, it's also a component. But the point is that it's both. It's both a full character by itself and a component in other characters. So we're saying when the full character is a component in other characters, imagine an umbrella, right? Then there's this alternate version that is only a component. It is never a character by itself. It's only a component. And that one we say, imagine Chuck Norris. Now you'll notice that the first one, we say, imagine an umbrella because that's how it looks, especially in a character like G that um, Charles brought up. It looks like it's an umbrella above the remaining parts of the character. And why would we do that? Because when it is the component that is more like an umbrella, uh, it's often not related to the meaning of the character, right? But when it's in the form that we say that's the com pure component form, the one that we say, uh, imagine Chuck Norris, that one usually is related to the meaning of the character. So we say, imagine the the person that you find to be most, uh, you know, whatever, magnificent or the most ideal, platonic ideal of a person. And we jokingly go with Chuck Norris because of that meme that went through uh, our childhoods about how uh, much of a um, an awesome martial artist Chuck Norris is. And so the idea here is that they are two separate components because they look different enough to imagine two different props. And uh, yeah, so that's how that works. So hopefully that clarifies things for Charles and Simon. Next, we have a uh, comment from Ernesto on bonus SRS the frequency game. He says, say a person went through their pronunciation course and did Anki every day and completed the course, but then stopped. And then about eight months later, started the Mandarin Blueprint Foundation course and started doing their Anki every day again. Incorporating the minimal pairs in the pronunciation mastery decks again. 
Did I mess up the algorithms? I'm doing like 100 or 300 reviews to do a day now. Ah! Yeah, so this is a good question because basically what will happen if you stop doing Anki is that uh, the reviewing times, like you're going to, everything's going to become due, right? So imagine an individual Anki card and you do several reviews on it. The day one, it's the first time you do it, it's due 10 minutes later. 10 minutes later rolls around, you do it again, you get it right. It's now due a day later. A day later comes around, you get it right. Now it's due four days later. And so at some point you've got this card, maybe it's due 30 days later, right? Maybe it's due 90 days later. But the point is, if you go eight months without doing any Anki, then pretty much all your cards are going to end up having their due date came. And when their due date came, they're now in your review queue. This is why it's so important to do Anki every day, because your reviews will build up massively if you take a long break. So yeah, you have a lot of reviews, but for what it's worth, the pronunciation mastery decks compared to what you're going to be doing in the long term are not that many reviews. So you should be fine. But yeah, you're going to have a lot of reviews uh, if you don't, you know, because your due dates have all come. All the due dates have arrived for all the um, cards that you did. So, and remember that when you have, but here's a, here's a good thing. So, even though you might have 300 reviews, Anki is also aware that it's been eight months, right? So, if you got it right... Anki will go, all right, well, you still remember this eight, eight months later, so it must be pretty well entrenched in your long-term memory. So bear that in mind, too. So I think the, the interval will be quite long if you uh, go eight months without reviewing. But you're also probably going to get a lot more than, like, normally, if you do Anki every day, it promises a retention of 90 to 95%. But if you haven't done it for eight months, you're certainly not going to have 90 to 95% retention. That would be amazing. But uh, unfortunately, that won't happen. So you're going to have a lot that are going to go back to the beginning of the queue, because whenever you hit again or incorrect, you reset the algorithm back to the beginning. So the basic thing, Ernesto, is you're going to have to hit a lot of, like, wrong and send it back to the beginning, and then eventually the algorithm will will reset itself, but it'll take you, um, you know, several, several days of reviewing before it's back to normal. Next, we have Heath Campbell on bonus, how to develop great study habits, part four, belief. Heath says, over the years, I have learned the importance of habits, studied memory palaces and memory systems, and also spent almost 18 months hacking away at a Mandarin course and other languages. What I find exciting about this course is that it pulls all those things together into a workable system. I knew all the elements worked. I just didn't know how to fit them together. Great work, guys. Well, I, that's great to hear because we that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, look, we know all these learning uh, techniques are all valid and work, and they can be the kind of things that uh, really change the game for uh, actual education of any kind, but specifically Mandarin. And we just wanted to put it together all in one place. And like you say, into a system, not just like that we use memory techniques, but that the memory techniques are applied within the framework of a step-by-step -step system. So I'm glad that you get that, Heath, and uh, thrilled that you're uh, aware of that. Next, we have Phil Challoner on New Vocabulary Unlocked Zidong. Uh, this is news to me. He says, that's exactly what automatic means in ancient Greek as well. So uh, so basically, Zidong means oneself move. So, and it means automatic. So it's like, that's the English translation is automatic. So oneself move to move of itself. And that's true. That's what automatic is. And so 
So he says, that's exactly what automatic means in ancient Greek as well, which is where we steal the uh, English from. So the English got it from ancient Greek. Um, and that it, what this reminds me of is that English, of course, has so many different um, source languages, whereas Chinese is much more unified. I mean, sure, there's been a great development in Chinese, and ancient Chinese sounds nothing like modern Chinese, but it's still all generally coming from the same roots, whereas uh, English has very separate language families that it uses to you know, come up with words. And that has its advantages. That's one of the reasons why I think English is so good for comedy, because you can combine words in such a way that is quite playful and funny. Uh, but on the other hand, it has a lot of uh, non-uniform rules. Like, it'd be like, I before E, except after C, and these 25 exceptions to that rule. So there are so many things that are inconsistent, which can make it difficult to learn. But on the other hand, it can be fun to to have such a mix of languages. But what's nice about Chinese is there's quite a bit of consistency with it, which is nice. Heath Campbell on bonus, how to find and fix pronunciation problems. He says, I went to WeChat probably a little too early in my language learning and started meeting Chinese people who wanted to practice their English. I had hoped to be able to practice conversational Mandarin. My skills weren't good enough, though. But I found someone in the same city as me who speaks Mandarin. We talk once a week, mainly just about language problems we encounter and about the differences in our cultures. <clears throat> I will, however, start checking more on my pronunciation with her in the future. Yeah, so there's a couple of interesting points to this. One is that you can't speak before you know anything, right? This is an interesting thing that we sometimes hear from Chinese teachers. They're like, if you want to learn Mandarin, speak more Mandarin. And it's like, well, based on what? You don't know anything yet. Like, if I were to go suddenly start speaking Arabic, what would I say? I have nothing to say because um, I don't know any Arabic. So it's like you have to get the input first. And then you can talk to somebody. Now, you could obviously, after our pronunciation course, go to a Chinese person and say, hey, am I saying uh, – tongue correctly is that right or should i say it more uh more with an open throat or something sure you could ask those types of questions but you can't have a conversation until you've gotten enough input and the fact though that you have this habit of meeting with a native mandarin speaker means that as you go through the course and start getting input you'll have opportunities to activate your passive knowledge right you have to build up the passive knowledge first and that is something where you passive knowledge just means you recognize it and you understand it. So, like, I have no passive knowledge of Arabic. I can read Arabic and know nothing, right? But if I have uh, uh, active knowledge, uh, or sorry, if I have passive knowledge of Arabic and then I go to try to speak it, then I can activate that language. And same thing goes with Chinese or any language. Abigail on make a movie for Zhou, which means weak. In this character, the left stroke of the outer component curves outwards. How important is this to remember? Should I alter my scene to incorporate this? Well, it's up to you, Abigail. I would say that uh, it's not really necessary to do. Um, you know, if you want, you could. But, like, I, I just don't think it's all that important. Although, it, we imagine this is a glass cover, usually. So you can imagine that the glass cover slightly curves outwards at the end. But it, it's such a subtle difference that I wouldn't worry about it too much. Nor Eckerberg on pick a prop for zhu. So it has to be the sun. Looks like a drawer to me. So you could imagine this as drawers. That's fine. Um, it doesn't, as it happens, the sun is a very useful prop 
this comes up a lot. So and it does mean sun. So sun is a reasonable prop, but you can use a drawer. It's just like I was saying before. Uh, as long as the thing that you imagine in your mind causes you to write the component down on the uh, down on the page when you're doing your Anki reviews, you've succeeded. Dom Thompson on New Vocabulary Unlocked, Hui Lai. He says, cool to see characters slash components we recognize in Shanghai. So I guess Dom lives in Shanghai. I tried to figure out the etymology. Shang meaning up. I thought perhaps Shanghai was on a hill and it refers to that. Had a guess at the meaning for high water uh, plus the character for beautiful. Something to do with the river, up water, beautiful, a waterfall maybe. Eventually I looked it up and high is C, S-E-A which makes sense. So the name of this for the city is just on the sea. Aha. So I failed to crack this one. Shanghai is not the city of waterfalls, but it it's fun when you come across these puzzles. Yes, this is exactly what always seems to happen uh, with these various um, Chinese characters is that you realize that so many of the uh, the the relationship between so many of the characters it's like it's a discovery process you go okay most words are two characters and how do they relate to each other which is why we made those word structure videos and then also which of the definitions of the character is being utilized in this word which is not something you have to overthink but it's like fun to discover it's a it's really quite the discovery process as you go through it it's going to keep happening it's going to happen more and more the more knowledge you gain so enjoy it Rick on new vocabulary unlocked for Chibal. He says, I can't tell from a Google image search. Does Balbar refer to an infant or is the Chinese version of baby referring to a girl or woman uh, or uh, man for that matter? So the answer is that technically it can be a baby, uh, an infant, but usually you'll say for an infant, you'll say Balbal, Balbal. That's usually what people will say when they're referring to a baby or an infant. Now, I can definitely imagine a mother saying to her child, calling her child Balbar. I can see that happening, but it's much more common to, it's like romantic partners call each other Balbar. Uh, so kind of like baby, yeah. Hey baby, how you doing? <laughs> All right. Next, we'll move on to some movie scene shares. So these are the uh, shares of the full mnemonic scenes from uh, the Mandarin Blueprint Method, and we'll take a look at the first one here from Dom Thompson on Make a Movie for Chen, which means complete or whole. He says, The queen is sat on the floor of the kitchen of, an AN, of the AN set, wearing a giant crown and holding an umbrella. She's grumpy because the ceiling is dripping on her. A man is working above. You can put your umbrella down now, ma'am. The plastering is complete. She tentatively peers out from under the umbrella and expects the newly plastered ceiling. She is protecting her crown with her hand, very wary of it getting wet. Excellent. The plastering is complete. She now happily puts down the umbrella and her giant crown glints in the light. So, yeah, I think that this is probably clear enough. Uh, obviously, all the elements of the scene are there. There's nothing missing. Um, you know, I worry that maybe it won't be uh, clear enough that it's complete. Perhaps you could imagine that the uh, worker draws, like, a check mark or something uh, on the um, this the plaster. Is like, you know, obviously they wouldn't do that in real life, but everything is about this scene is wouldn't happen in real life. So I think that... 
maybe something making it clearer it's complete or maybe um some kind of contrasting moment but overall this is good this is good it's got all the elements to it and yeah you can just imagine perhaps a check mark or something else to really solidify the complete idea there at the end but it's all good next we have dom thompson on make a movie for jewel so this means like master or uh you know sort of lord I don't usually use lyrics as the keyword connection because I worry it could be just any song when I come to recall the scene. However, this one comes very naturally. Jigglypuff is jumping around the bedroom wearing a giant golden crown, singing Master of the House from Les Mis. Okay, nice. Uh, it's a very loud, raucous song, and I'm trying to sleep. So I take a large uh, pipette and put a drop of acid on top of the crown. As Jigglypuff dissolves into a puddle of goo and molten gold, <laughs> the sound of uh, Master of the House slowly fades uh, out like a broken record. All right, nice. Yeah, that's. T I think using music is totally fine because it usually works for me, uh, especially if you have a strong connection to the song. So uh, I like that the pipette makes the um, uh, Jigglypuff and the crown have this reaction. So sure, awesome. Next, another one from Dom Thompson on Make a Movie for Guo, which means country or kingdom. Gandalf is about to fight a Jade Buddha. They're in a boxing ring in the kitchen of my office. In the green corner, representing China, give it up for the Jade Buddha. <laughs> and facing him tonight, in the gray corner, representing... Wait, what country are you from? Yeah, yes, country. I need a country for the announcement. What do you mean? You you don't have a country? Do you have a flag? Some sort of banner, maybe? Look, we can't continue if you don't give me a country. <laughs> I like that, of course, because Gandalf wouldn't have a country. Uh, Middle Earth, I guess. So that's not really a country, is it? Uh, it's just the, the world. So, you know. Um, awesome. I love this scene. Hilarious. And uh, it's a, you know adds an element of comedy to it that the, the normal announcer uh, sort of process is interrupted by Gandalf not having a country. Another one from Dom Thompson on Make a Movie for Un. Jackie Chan lies lifeless in the backyard of the EN set with a wound in his chest. The Rolling Stones mouth is weeping by his side. No, 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 no. Then a butterfly flies in carrying a human heart. It drops the heart into the wound and Jackie Chan miraculously springs to life. The mouth floats about the mouth floats about gleefully cheering. Yes, 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 yes. So this of course character mm, means yes usually. It's like usually an affirmative when you're talking to somebody. It's like, "Hey, did you get the groceries?" Mm. You know, you, so the answer the idea of it meaning yes makes sense and so uh, the way that Dom dealt with this is by using contrast and creating this situation where there's originally um, no life in Jackie Chan, and that would be a no, you know, that would be a very sad thing to happen. And then the butterfly carrying the human heart, which are, of course, the uh, our, um, uh, props, they drops the heart into Jackie Chan, creating a moment of life, which is, of course, the opposite feeling of, uh, you know, grief. It's like, yes, you know, so uh, awesome. Next, we have Rebecca McCarthy on Make a Movie for Dong. I have Daniel Ratcliffe in my dad's house, Related to birdsong because it's in the woods. 
Anyways, the window, the windows of my dad's house face the east. So Daniel Radcliffe is on drugs watching the sunrise in the east. And he suddenly sees seven Tyrion Lannisters running over the hill towards him. LOL, not the most detailed and well-written story, but it works for me. So let's see here. Daniel Radcliffe in my dad's house. That's fine. Uh, related to bird songs. It's in the woods. Okay. Um, the windows of his dad's house face east, which is the meaning of the character. And Daniel, <laughs> he's on drugs watching the sunrise in the east. Okay. Uh, and suddenly he sees seven Tyrion Lannisters running over the hill towards him. I mean, the seven Tyrion Lannisters, seven is not being represented by a prop. It's You're just duplicating Tyrion Lannister to be equal seven which isn't necessarily all that memorable, but, you know, one of the possible um, props we have for T, which means seven, uh, could be dice. So it would it's fine to have seven Tyrion Lannisters, but maybe as they're running towards him, they're all throwing dice as well, just to get that seven across, that idea of seven, because, you know, um, lucky seven and craps, so, like, that's why dice are a good representation there. Um so I would say that as long as you add that in to make it clear that the uh, seven is a part of it, the east representation of east in your dad's house facing east, that all works. Also, we had another scene submitted for Dong, which means east, from Phil uh, Chalinor. So let's see how his is different with different elements. So he says, David Bowie is outside Bilbo Baggins's house where the dwarves had a throng hence why the ONG ong throng, and he's trying to play craps with two dice in the rain. He's facing to the right, east, and he has an umbrella over his head. I'm asking him why on earth he's trying to play craps outside in a rainstorm, and he says that facing east is lucky. So, um, I guess the umbrella is his representation of small, because we have two, you know, in the previous uh, scene, we had the um, Tyrion Lannisters representing small because he's a dwarf, right? But then it's like uh, here we have what an umbrella and two dice. So I'm not exactly sure where the that the two dice uh, are rep the two dice clearly would represent seven, right? Because that's the the idea there. And then the umbrella must be representing small, but I'm not sure. Uh, why the umbrella would represent small, but still, if, assuming that that's what that's something that Phil chose, he wants the small uh, prop at the bottom of the character to be represented by an umbrella. Then I think we're all right uh, with that. Um, yeah, and I think that the idea of facing east, maybe just have the sun just rising, so it's very clear that he's facing east. That should be fine. Dom Thompson on make a movie for Guan. Gandalf knocks on the front door of the AN set. The door is answered by a red balloon with an angry face and devil horns. The balloon shouts, you shall not pass, at Gandalf and slams the door. As the door slams, that cliche TV sign in the shop door flips to close things ha thing happens. Tricky to explain, but I can picture it clearly in my mind. I know what you're saying. So, um, so yeah, because everybody flipping the, the shop door to close. Yeah, um... I like that the balloon, <laughs> the balloon is the one that yells, uh, you shall not pass at Gandalf and slams the door. Nice. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't I don't see any problem with this one. And yeah, I don't, the the flipping to clothes is a very iconic idea of clothes, and that's what they do. They guanmen, uh, guanmen means to close. So no problem with that one at all. Next, we have Phil Chalinor on Make a Movie for Da. There's a wigwam in the bathroom of my A set, and from the inside, a razor blade starts cutting a horizontal line across the opening. Out comes an absolutely massive David Bowie, and it freaks the heck out of me. So sure, I mean, like, obviously, um, you know, the character just means big, and, uh, Having David Bowie being huge is fine. It's such a simple character that this should be no problem. Phil Chalinor and make a movie for Ty. I was quite lucky lucky here because my T actor is one of my mates who's six foot five, and my Da prop is a giant old English sheepdog. All right. Oh, it's a sheepdog Digby. They're in the bathroom of my AI set, which was comically tiny. I'm telling them that one of them is going to have to do something because it's too cramped in there. And my mate says he has a magic shrinking ointment in a dropper, which he proceeds to apply to Digby's paw. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, let me see here. Yeah, too cramped. So the idea is too cramped. And you can imagine too cramped. Like, you can even feel too cramped. You know, you can see how, like, you could imagine yourself feeling claustrophobic and it's like, it's too cramped. That's probably good enough for uh, the representation of T-O-O. Phil Chalinor and make a movie for Ku, which means to cry. Kung Fu Panda is outside my childhood home and he's crying because he's fat and can't stop comfort eating dumplings. <laughs> um, a bulldog comes up and starts licking him. And then two Rolling Stones mouth come out of the sky above and come down one on each side of Kung Fu Panda's head, and they start kicking him, uh, like kicking him like the dog. This only makes him feel more pathetic, and his crying gets louder. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no problem. That's that's clear enough, and uh, <laughs> that's obviously ridiculous. <laughs> I can't stop eating dumplings. That's uh, that's funny. Next, Phil Chalinor and make a movie for Toe, which means smelly. Charlie Chuck is in the bathroom of my OU set with a bulldog and a giant nose. The nose is twitching, so Charlie starts looking around, confused, and sniffing his own armpits. <laughs> then the dog walks under the nose, and the nose starts making a fire alarm noise. Charlie leans over to the dog and shouts disgustedly, Pooh! With, his, with a contorted look on his face and his finger and thumb holding his nose. So, yeah, sure, absolutely, that's fine. Uh, dogs poop. There's a big giant nose which smells, and that's why it's in the character. Uh, and so, yeah, this is great. Great scene for Cho. Another one from Phil on Make a Movie for Go, which means dog. Gary Oldman is in the bathroom of my OU set with a hammer and gavel for a pronouncing sentence. And to the left of him is Taz. There's a sad-looking dog in a cage, and Taz is bidding for him. Gary slams the hammer down and sells an excited Taz the dog. I'm watching, horrified, because I think Taz is going to eat the dog, but he throws his arms around him and starts cuddling and stroking him as the dog wags his tail and licks his face. Yeah, I like that because you get the you get the sudden change in how uh, uh, things are going, and of course we got the gavel, which is the representation of sentence, which is the right side component, and uh, I think this is fine, especially because you have the the 
unexpected happen. You're like, oh, he's going to eat the dog. Oh, no, actually, they, they get along and they're great friends. Another one from Phil on make a movie for Yang, which means uh, sheep. Yoko Ono is in the kitchen of my ANG set. She has Gandalf, Gandalf's staff and a Viking helmet on. <laughs> nice. The twins from The Shining are there, and Yoko's playing I'm a shepherd and you're my sheep with them. They are following her around, very straight-faced and sinister-looking, making sheep noises. <laughs> oh, that's weird. The whole scene is like one of Yoko's conceptual art performances. Yeah, I think that's fine. I don't know the the game "I'm a Shepherd and You're My Sheep," but as long as you know what that is, that's the good. That's a good association with the uh, the meaning. And of course, that's just a weird, a weird idea. Yoko Ono in a Viking hat with Gandalf's staff, marching around with the twins from The Shining behind her, making sheep noises. That is a strange and memorable scene. I like it. Next, we have Deborah Driscoll on Make a Movie for Why, which means outside. Winnie the Pooh enters the bathroom of my AI set. He sees a bat, uh, as in a, a, the animal bat, and a tortoise, which is the prop that she used for uh, Boo. We oftentimes use them as, uh, we imagine, magic wands, but of course she said that tortoise uh, shells used to be used for fortune telling and so that's what bull means so we've got the bat and the tortoise he looks puzzled and says hmm shouldn't you two live outside i like that <laughs> winnie the pooh saying that to a tortoise and a bat so he picks them both up and throws them out of the bathroom window Faintly, the tourist can be heard saying, I'm outside, as he falls air before as he falls before hitting the outside ground below. Of course he survives, dusts himself off, and lives happily ever outside forever after. I like that Deborah added that, because of course these scenes don't have to be all that violent. Sounds good. Let's see. Next we have Dom Thompson on Make a Movie for New, which means lady or woman or female. Imagining Emmanuel Macron in the living room, positioning himself as the photograph. <laughs> He's crossing his legs daintily and holding out his arms as if to say, look, I'm a woman. And this is fine because this is a pictograph of a woman. You're going to use this character all the time. Having the full props doesn't necessarily matter, but having your actor, in this case, Emmanuel Macron, in the living room of the childhood home should be enough to remember uh, this character, and it's also obviously quite silly. So um, that's uh, that's fun. Nice. Awesome. Next, Phil Chalinor and make a movie for Tia, which means to add. Janice Joplin is at the entrance of my A set. She is singing with a fairly average sounding voice, and she needs to find her own style. She takes the Rolling Stones mouth and adds some power to it by pressing her power on button. Hey, presto, she has added mouth and power together to come up with Janis Joplin's incredible voice. So, so there's the equation, mouth, Rolling Stones mouth, plus add power, and you get Janis Joplin's incredible voice. I like that. That's, that should be good enough. You can maybe even imagine a plus sign, you know, going between them, uh, but that should be good. Natalia Kovalenko on Make a Movie for which means a branch. It's also usually a uh, it's a measure word you'll see come up a fair bit. It says, Jet Li recently became a Christian and wants to mark the occasion by making himself a wooden cross. Prop one. He spots a suitable branch on the tree right outside his childhood home location, uh, his childhood home, but it's too high. 
He steps on a drum, prop two, to reach up and cuts the branch he wanted. Uh, nice, clear, straight to the point, uses all the props properly, um, and yeah, uh, I would say when he steps on the drum, try to make it, you know, actually sound a little bit like a drum there to add some audio to it, but I like it. Good stuff. Dom Thompson on Make a Movie for Man, which means slow. Muhammad Ali is in the backyard punching a speed bag at lightning speed. Joy from Inside Out steps outside. Okay, I can see you're worked up. Why don't we slow you down a bit, okay? She puts a straight jacket on him. <laughs> he continues to punch the bag, but is now hitting it once every few seconds at an ultra-slow, labored motion. And I like the idea, because that's it fits with um, Joy's attitude to be like, oh, why don't you slow down a bit a little bit? <laughs> I like that. So, um, great stuff. Clear scene, and of course the slow, we can even use some slow motion along with his labored, ultra-slow hitting of the bag. Okay, final scene share from this week is Dom Thompson on Make a Movie for Shu, which means book. Sheldon Cooper is reading a book in the front garden. He use, uses a nearby cricket bat as a bookmark and sets the book down. As he gets up, he notices dozens of other books with cricket bats as bookmarks. How will he know which is his? He takes off his two Spock ears, he's the kind of guy who'd be wearing these for fun, and skewers them onto the cricket, cricket, bat, cricket bat like a kebab. Now it'll be obvious which book is his. After admiring, admiring his handiwork and holding it up so I can see the positioning of everything, he noticed that all of the other cricket bat bookmarks also have Spock ears skewered on them. <laughs> he takes a pipette, and puts a drop in the corner of the top Spock ear. The ear turned bright neon pink, and it's now clear which book with cricket back Spock ear bookmark is his. <laughs> which book with cricket back Spock ear bookmark is his. That's a tongue twister. I love it. Everything's clear in that, and you know it's also kind of funny that he doesn't notice the Spock ears that were already there until after. Uh, he does the Spock ears. That's, that's pretty funny. Of course, I like that Sheldon has the Spock ears when that does fit his character indeed. So, awesome. Well done, Dom. And well done, everybody, on the course. That was a lot of great um, That was a lot of great movie submissions this week. As always, if you'd like to learn more about the Mandarin Blueprint Method, just head over to mandarinblueprint.com. Uh, we have a new website that we uh, uploaded a few weeks ago, so... Feel free to check it out if you haven't already, and we'll see you on the course. Bye-bye.